we've all been through challenging times in our lives, you know, whether it's natural disasters, et cetera, whatever those might be. And I think that's when you want to help people, right? You want to help people get through it. We all take off a bit of the company uniform and we just become a community and a team and everybody plays different roles. Welcome back to SaaS Half Full, the only show serving B2B SaaS marketers. I'm Lindsay Groper, president at Blast Media, and as always, I will be your host and bartender today. Today, I am joined by Jim Benton, CEO of Chorus AI. And Jim began his tenure as CEO on March 15th of this year. Wow. Do you remember that time? Yeah, we all got locked in our houses, and that was literally Jim's first week as CEO. Uh, he's working with a team that he has uh, never met in person. So in addition to his unique start to Chorus, the pivot that we're going to talk about is Chorus' decision to use their data for social good. They could have hoarded their data that they were gathering and used it for their own benefit, but they decided to package it up and put it out into the world to help others work through a very interesting and difficult time. So let's go ahead and dive in. Grab yourselves a drink as we talk with Jim, CEO of Chorus AI. Hi, Jim. Thanks for joining me on SAS Half Full. Likewise. Glad to be here. Did we get your cocktail kit to you in time? I opened it this morning. It had literally fruit in the box. I appreciate that. It'll be a good night. Awesome. And you chose the, well, at least appropriate here in Indianapolis, the sweater weather cocktail, which I'm guessing in the Bay Area, you guys are eh, getting close to sweater weather. It is. For California, it's getting close to sweater weather. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you chatting with me today. We have the pleasure of calling Chorus AI a client at Blast Media for going on two years, which is awesome. But when we started with Chorus, Jim was not CEO. He took over this year. And we want to get into your interesting start to the company because it is far from typical, which let's be honest, in our world today, everything is far from typical. But for those listeners who aren't familiar with Chorus AI, can we start with quick elevator pitch of what Chorus is and why you guys exist? Sure. You know, at a high level, we exist to help capture all the different interactions that sales and go-to-market teams have with prospects and customers whether it's the call, the email, the meeting, we want to understand what happens in those interactions. We want to use industry-leading AI to deeply understand the key moments of those interactions. And we want to ultimately start to understand what does best look like? What drives successful outcomes? What drives deals to be won versus lost? And then how do we replicate that success across the sales team? And so ultimately, I think about it as relationships. How do we help people to come together, understand each other, and build these strong trusted relationships and bring that data deeply back into the CRM uh, as we extend these relationships across the entire sales team? I love that. And if you're not investing in a technology like Chorus, what are sales teams typically doing? Well, I mean, this has been a real challenge. I've been in the sales tech space. I, I co-founded ClearSlide before this for quite a while. These are the moments. This, this data stream does not exist today. They're uncaptured. So for the most part, people join meetings that aren't recorded and they're taking a little bit of light notes and sometimes they're adding it back to the CRM. But a lot of the core signal of that meeting is missed. And that is why this category has been so hot right now as it truly is a, a 10x to an environment that didn't have this before. 
I, I cut my teeth early on in sales. And, and I remember when you'd join an organization and say, well, you know, who's the best salesperson, right? And you'd they'd be like, oh, well, it's Katie. And so what's Katie doing? Well, she just has it, right? She's just got it. I'm like, well, what is it? Like, how, how can I replicate it when it's not defined what it is? And I feel like this is really helping move that along. Well, and especially now, imagine when you can't sit next to the person and listen to their calls and you're starting the new job remote. That is such a different environment that we're in. And this is playing a, a very significant role for, for new hires. Yeah, I'm definitely talking old school and, and dating myself where we were, I mean, literally knocking on doors and, and pounding phones. That was the only way. <laughs> um, what was the product you sold? What was your first product? I was doing uh, radio ad sales for ESPN Radio. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, it was a super fun time. I'm one of those people who I, I just, I love sales and Part of what you know, PR is media relations. When we pitch, it's very much like sales, and you either you either love it, love the hunt, or you don't. I'm a person who loves it. That's right. Well, I'm sure being in radio sales, you're thrown right into it. So, what a great place to learn. Absolutely. So, you found a clear slide. Your journey into B2B SaaS and, and sort of looking at your background, it's it's a long one. You're not you weren't just thrown into it from another industry. Can you talk us a little bit through that journey and how you uh, ultimately ended up at Chorus? Yeah, my first 10 years of my career, for the most part, was in media sales and sort of by accident. I went from, uh, I originally started at AT&T, which is where I learned to sell and do a lot of outbound. But my first internet job was with Evite back in 99. Evite built a media model, putting you know advertising into the different event types. And that's where I sort of fell in love with the product side of, of these sites that we build and marrying that with revenue models and spent 10 years from Evite, which was acquired by Ticketmaster, then went on to Sequoia-backed Adbright, helping to build leading sponsorship and advertising models. And it wasn't until 10 years in that saw an opportunity to help sales teams to connect with their prospects and customers differently. And that's what led to founding uh, my first SaaS company. And so you have been CEO, of course, uh, under a year right? Just this year. And uh, certainly there have been C-level executives that have started new jobs uh, since the onset of the pandemic, but boy, your timing is unique. Walk us through your first week at Chorus. <laughs> it is it is unique. I started on March 16th of 2020. And I remember getting ready to you know kick off with Chorus. Now, now by the way, I'd known Chorus. I'd known Roy and uh, different members of the Chorus team for over a year. And I was a customer of Chorus uh, when I was leading Apollo as CEO. So I had some history there. But after coming together and agreeing to uh, lead the company, my first day was Monday, March 16th, which was the first full day of shelter in place. And we didn't know that probably until Friday. And so it's just a unique time. You're, you're sort of making sure your family is in a good spot and we're ready to shelter for the unknown. And at the same time, you're learning to onboard remotely from your house and meet a global company. And just like everything, you adapt very quickly. And I couldn't imagine doing it any other way now. So you were you, you literally leading a company that you've never met face-to-face, -face, in person. That's right. That's right. So instead of coming in on site on uh, you know, Monday morning, uh, join the team, you know, via Zoom. We have our groups in you know, Tel Aviv and Boston and Toronto and San Francisco. We're headquartered out here in the Bay Area in San Francisco. 
And um, you are doing it all through Zoom. And I made a point to meet everybody in the company in the first 10 days through you know different Zoom sessions, whether one-on-one or small groups. And so just very quickly, you, you plug in, you get to know your team. And as we've all learned, we can accomplish a lot on Zoom right now and really get to know at a baseline people fairly well. And by the way, I still have not met most of the company in person Yet uh, we've developed incredible relationships, and it's it's been a fairly epic last six months within the company of what we've what I think we've achieved. It's a it's a time of growth to sort of rethink how we work and to plug back in the pieces that we miss, but to do it thoughtfully as we start to open things up whenever that time is right. One of the things that that struck me um, when talking with with our team at Blast Media, working with you, is. You guys are no strangers to data, right? I mean, that that's what the platform is. You're ingesting massive amounts of data from which you can learn, right, and draw insights. But your pivot really was in deciding to what I'm calling lift the data kimono and taking that data, harnessing it and sharing it with the world, which is a choice that you know you, you didn't necessarily have to make. So everything shuts down. You guys have been collecting some pretty interesting data in the platform. What were you finding? was interesting. So you're, you're right. We moved very quickly. I started on Monday. And by Thursday, we realized that we were in a very unique window where the assumption was uh, that I was hearing from the, from the world outside, of course, was how could you sell right now? I mean, we just moved all of our sales teams out of an office into homes at every company. How do you make cold calls? How do you engage? Is it even appropriate? And when we looked at our data across the entire platform, the, the first data I was looking at was showing a very different signal. It was showing that sales has not only shown up, but they're they're connecting and engaging at very similar levels than they were uh, the month before pre-pandemic. And I thought that was an incredibly inspiring data point that the sales community had moved remote and is still bringing some of their best selling to the market. And we wanted to unlock that data. We wanted to show people that Look, sales is about solving problems, and there's real problems to be solved back in March and April. They were just different problems. And so it was beautiful to see people coming together. And what we were starting to see was that, yes, demos are starting two minutes later. So instead of a typical call, a 30-minute call, having a demo start at 10 minutes in, which is what our data shows, they were starting at the 12th minute. But that's because we saw more empathy. And as we all remember in the early days of this, it was natural to be empathetic, uh, to connect with people as we were all being far more real about our situations. That took a few more minutes in these engagements as we built that trust. But you know that, that was an interesting data point. Productivity level stayed the same. The second data point that we saw is we were tracking the mentions of COVID-19 across all the calls. And it was fascinating to see that back on February 23rd, 8% of sales calls had a mention of COVID-19. It jumped to 29% the week later. By March 8th, it was at 63% the calls had a COVID-19 mention. And a week later on the 16th, we were at 98% of the calls. It actually followed very closely to what the U.S. data had shown on cases. And those were the insights we wanted to unlock. We, we could see patterns that we thought could help other leaders make really good decisions during a very difficult time. Yeah, and and that's really the point where you could have used that data to just further the sales of chorus, right? And keep that to yourselves. At what point did you decide that it was your responsibility to share the data with the world and to use it to help other sales and demand gen leaders work through a really freaking weird time? (laughs) 
we've all been through challenging times in our lives, you know, whether it's natural disasters, et cetera, whatever those might be. And I think that's when you want to help people, right? You want to help people get through it. We all take off a bit of the company uniform and we become a community and a team and everybody plays different roles. And for us, it just seemed like what a neat opportunity that we had data that the world did not understand. Where else could you find this data to be, to truly have AI that could pull out key moments across uh, millions of interactions. And that's what just led us to saying, wow, if we could help other leaders inspire their teams to continue to bring their best, to continue to connect and solve problems, then we're doing our part right now. And I think the other part is as a new hire starting from home, which is not my comfort zone. I'm used to being in an office, pretty predictable rhythm, you know, show up at the same time, leave at the same time. And now I've got, you know, three kids and my wife and, you know, just, I remember it just was uh, an unsettling desk environment and thinking, you know, I missed the connection. And that's what led to, what if we did a daily briefing at 8.35 a.m. every day? And I used to do a daily huddle with my team live at 8.35 a.m. every day. This is back in my ClearSide days. And so we were basically replicating a little bit of our own interest in human connectivity and kind of a pulse to the outside world. And let's share this data that we think can help drive decisions. It was interesting because the, I will say a benefit of, or I guess one of the good things that came out of, especially stay at home orders, is it really leveled the playing field. It didn't matter who you were, what's your title, what's your role. Everybody was literally in the same circumstance, right? Certainly with, with some differences, but it really leveled the playing field in terms of you're struggling, I'm struggling, and we're, we're doing the best that we can. How did the format of the daily briefing, which has now transformed into more of a weekly briefing, so a weekly Zoom broadcast, how did that, that come about? How did you decide on that format moving into a bringing other sales leaders in to talk about the data and what they're experiencing? The formats have, have changed a little bit. Initially, I actually thought we'd have a live audience coming together, which we did do. We still actually do have a live audience that joins us at 835 and record. And that was sort of that huddle concept that you could actually bring people together. And we did that. And we would get polls and questions in. But over time, it became more clear that people being able to watch this at their own time, being able to asynchronously kind of plug in is what these podcasts and what these are all about. One of the key reasons why we were so focused on putting this out there and helping people make decisions is right in the early pandemic, it seemed like everybody was having to make tough calls on whether you lay off your teams. And that was where I thought, you know, our team, as we got together, thought we could really impact other companies is if we gave them data that showed that the go-to-market teams were actually being more productive than maybe the CFO thought, we would protect them from being laid off. And you know, that this is what we care deeply about. How do we keep people employed during a very tough period? And I'm really proud of the way Chorus got through this. We kept our team together and I've worked with many great leaders that kept their teams together and didn't do sort of the the, the layoffs. And not everybody was in positions to, to make those calls. Different businesses were impacted differently by this. But that was a big aspect that we were focused on was how do we help people maintain in their jobs and showcase that they're actually adding value. So from a format standpoint, you know, the initial thoughts were to share different data points each day to unlock, you know, two to four different key conversation-based insights, whether it was talking about rifts being mentioned in calls, whether it was deal risk, discovery calls, 
engaging questions. What are we finding in these calls that could unlock insights for leaders when they're making decisions about their teams? And every day we would have our research team come together and surface different data points. You know, for example, if I look back at you know the early days of the daily briefing, we were looking at productivity across the different verticals, the different categories. And we found that collaboration and project management was up 80% from sort of pre-pandemic levels in terms of activity where hospitality, travel, and local services was down 29%. You know, HR, tech, and recruiting was down 33%. And these insights quickly showcase that if you're a sales team trying to sell into hospitality or HR tech, you're going to have challenges. Those teams are being much more negatively impacted. Whereas if you're selling to SaaS collaboration project management companies or infrastructure was up 9%, security companies were up 14, you're actually going to have an increased uptick in their interest. And so it was just interesting to start to see that the world had changed and how do we help sales teams to kind of pivot where they're focusing and selling into at the same time. And so now you are having a conversation with a new sales leader every week. And something that struck me was the fact that you yourself are the host. So when I first saw the daily briefings, I'm like, my God, this guy's been thrown into a remote work environment. He's never met his employees. What a time to be a CEO. Now he's doing a daily briefing. Now he's moving into a weekly format and interviewing these people, which I know takes time. Why was it important for you as the CEO to spearhead this and and be the face and voice of this initiative? Well, look, think, think about the title. I, I've not done a lot of social. So we didn't call it a podcast. We didn't call it a webinar. That's not what this was at all. Our audience was to other CEOs and senior leaders making decisions. And this was a briefing, no different than you know, the governor of New York doing his daily briefings and other key people who are sharing data in a way that helps others make decisions. And so we saw this, and I saw this as essentially our daily briefing of key data to help others, period. And so the minute it became sort of a social program, I always said to the team, let's cut it off. Let's give it two more weeks. And if this thing isn't adding value for others, let's shut it off. We're not doing this for us. We're doing this for others. And it's still, by the way, you know, as the as it's evolved and now it's weekly and We've all settled into our current environments a bit more. And I still get challenged by that. You're talking to someone that has very little social you know, presence from a Facebook and Instagram. I, I'm a bit more private on those fronts and really enjoy the human connection. And so this stretched me into a bit of a different zone than I've been in, but it felt natural for what we were sharing. And it felt like we were adding value to the world and not just to ourselves. And I hope that's still the case. I think it's something that we have to remind ourselves that the minute we do this for us and not for others, we should stop. Well, and that brings me to the question then of, right, I mean, that you're investing uh, time, your own time and, and others in resources. What has been the public response to the weekly briefing and how are you, I guess, justifying what's going into it versus what, you know, what you're getting out of it? Are, are there certain metrics that you look at? Is this just a feeling that you have? What are some of the metrics that you look at? You know, I just love the rhythm of it now where we're unlocking remarkable insights out of our platform using a brilliant uh, research team and finding patterns that are even helping us think about our own business. We're using these insights well beyond the weekly briefing. We're using them in other public environments. We're using them in press interviews, but they're enabling us to be the thought leaders that we should be, which is to truly bring thought to this marketplace that just otherwise didn't exist. 
I think in terms of the rhythm, for me, it's been interesting. I get to meet an amazing guest each week and the team has done a fantastic job of helping bring this together. But you know how fortunate to be able to spend, and I spend time with uh, each of the folks that we interview uh, before the call. And so I get to know them and we have some fun and we, we, we share the stories. But these are key people in industry. I'm learning a ton. And, and I, I will quote what I hear from these other leaders quite often in our own team as we are working with the people that are shaping the industry. So we're meeting great people. We're unlocking incredible data. We're enabling our, our sales organization to be thought leaders in every interaction from the BDR touch to the AE touch to the CSM touch. They have the full weekly briefing and are doing customized briefings with senior leaders to say, we can talk about conversation intelligence. And let's also share with you that, did you know that you know CFOs are joining calls 92% more than pre-pandemic? Let's talk about how this impacts your team. And so I love that we're empowering our company across the board to be thought leaders. And I think this moment of coming together weekly for a 30-minute call is the forcing function that's sort of unlocking this in a, in a you know, unique way. And then in terms of reaction, you know, it's something that we're always measuring. You know, hope you want to have impact. You want to be helping others. We do find that from our LinkedIn posts, especially lately as we've been shifting into more the human side, more stories, you know, balancing the data with a little bit more background of how people are doing things and really getting deeper into you know, what changes they've made. We've been getting a, a very significant response, I'd say two to three times higher than where we were even just eight weeks ago. So it feels good that if we're putting data out there that helps people change the way they are, then I love that they're viewing it. We put a stat out recently that you know, top performers tell 20% more stories well, that's really important for people to learn and to understand what that means and to think about the stories that help help connect with people, especially when we're remote. So if we can help more people to do that type of behavior, that's good. We're helping. We're helping our community. Yeah. And again, this, you know, this pandemic and, and people working from home has created this common ground that didn't exist before. I mean, there are people who would struggle with small talk, right? How do I, what stories do I tell? How do I connect? And we at least can all connect on this level right now than we haven't been able to before, which I think is a great thing. I mean, our, our current environment is certainly something that no one, no CEO, no politician could predict. But from a business standpoint, I do think it's made sales conversations much more human and empathetic, which, which is a fantastic pivot. How do you envision our current climate impacting the future of, of sales conversations in the long term? Does it? I think it does. I think that we've learned that we can engage people quite effectively remotely. We've learned that you know if you're going to go through content and discovery processes, we can do this quite effectively remotely. But we also have learned that to build trust, to have fun, to come together, there's still a real need for the human connection. And we don't want to lose that. And I think that as the world opens up, you'll find new ways that people are engaging on the human side. I don't expect people to be flying out to sit in a conference room and go through PowerPoint the way that the sales community had done that before. I expect a lot more of when we're able to get back on airplanes, it'll be for experiences. It'll be meals and games and concerts and show. With, with the Those have a little bit of a high crowd right away. So maybe not quite the concert day one, but experiential things where you're getting together and having fun with people outside of the screen is what I would expect the next few years to look like. And it's what I find myself doing with my own leadership team. When we get together in person, and socially distanced and, and, and masked up in, in backyards. 
we aren't on screens. We're, we're having different conversations than what we do on Zoom. Um, but we're, we're building trust. We're, we're, we're revving and riffing on little edge things that we want to talk through. And we're having fun. And that's such an important part of work, in my opinion, uh, as well. It's just how do we bring people together and you know, make sure that we do become these iconic teams that can you know, just create value for, for everyone. Yeah. And, you know, it does bring that in-person experience to a different level and it makes you appreciate it. Right. And so you don't want to fill it with, you know, with trivial talk. You want to fill it with meaningful conversations because you just appreciate it so much more now. Um, And it's just one of those other silver, silver linings that's come out of this for all of the, you know, emotional stress that it has caused. There's also some really great things that I think individuals and businesses are experiencing. And I do hope in the long term that 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 stays right. That idea of human connection and empathy. I mean, you would hope that's how it it always was, right? But if this is what it takes to move that forward, then then so be it. I also think that what also will change is the way we coach. And I think that before the pandemic, a lot of teams were still doing tribal coaching. You know, you, you'd onboard people in a classroom. You would sit next to people. And coaching was either your leader coming out with you to a meeting or joining a few calls and getting some points. And today we find that you know coaching was up 63% in May, kind of in the peak of all of this, still up 15% in terms of the amount of coaching actions that managers are taking today versus pre-pandemic. And what that means is that we're getting far more precise in the coaching. We're able to get down to specific timestamps and say, really like the way you did this, or hey, you might want to consider this piece. And it also means that from a coaching standpoint, if you're a new hire, you're not getting generalized training. You're able to jump in and say, I want to hear how other reps that have closed certain deals have handled this objection in that deal. And let me listen to 15 calls where that objection came up and we won the deal on how we talked through it. And the precision of onboarding around all of these different edge cases, it it just means that new hires are getting comfortable in telling stories that maybe they've heard from others and comfortable connecting much faster. And we saw our new hires, the folks that we hired in August, ramped quicker than any hires we've ever had in the business from a sales standpoint. That's incredible. Jim, what do you wish more SaaS CEOs understood about their sales reps? I think one of the things that SaaS sales CEOs can do today, something that I do, is listen to what the sales reps are doing. Join these interactions, uh, whether you're on a treadmill, whether you're out walking, but just to really hear these conversations with real customers they're all different. You don't know what you're going to get when you join these interactions. Your sales team doesn't. But to join them and to provide the feedback, to, to comment, to be positive, to give pointers, but to show that you care, to show that you're engaged, that is one critical piece that creates a connectivity. And we've seen a, an increase in coaching behavior right now. The other part is to join them live, to feel that true pressure and to walk in their shoes and to be on point and to be engaged in the dialogue. Once you do that, you just have an appreciation for that role and for that team that is different than when you're just looking at the dashboards. Yeah, that's a great point. Now that you've gone through several months of the weekly briefing, what's been something that's really surprised you about the process? I still find it hard when you're thinking about having these guests how to have just a really great conversation. How, to, how do you unlock those, those questions that really helped open up learnings and insights that aren't just a surface level, that aren't just a response? And 
for some reason, I always thought that would be easier just to, have, to come up with those. But I think you know, questions aren't hard. It's those questions that truly tap into someone's soul that they're superpowers and they share those really interesting insights about how they work. And I feel like that just is about preparation and spending time with them. But that's that's been one of the key areas that has been probably the most rewarding is starting to learn how to be a, a stronger active listener and how to ask questions that lead to stories, not just advice. I find those to be the the interactions I've enjoyed the most. If I can get people telling stories, then I think we're we're really unlocking value. What's one of the guest stories that sticks out in your mind? Well, I had Doug Landis on, who's a growth partner at Emergence a few weeks ago. We were talking about top reps selling, telling stories more often. And so I said, what if we made the entire episode about storytelling? So we won't ask questions. We'll just, every answer will be a story versus advice. And so we, if you listen to that one, there's a whole bunch of different stories from, you know, steak dinners to the way that he was the chief storyteller at Box and how that came about. And they just stuck with me. You, you remember it. You remember what we were talking about. So it was fun. It was different. That's interesting. We had a Ask Me Anything session with uh, Mindy, my partner and I, with some of our, our new hires. We've been fortunate to hire uh, quite a few people this year. And, and it really is an open forum. And we we got a big kick out of some of the questions that we were asked because it was around stories, right? What's the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you over the last 15 years at Last Media, right? Tell us about the most fun you've ever had with a client. And it was, I mean, it actually was a great connection point for us. I mean, we sort of anticipated maybe getting more um, about work or professional, but they wanted the stories, right? And it helps you connect with people to be able to tell those. And, and, you know, we took a jog down memory lane, which was pretty fun for us as well. Yeah. I think if you can get people laughing, uh, even just your guest as well, um, and bringing the fun back, that always is a, a nice treat as well. Awesome. Uh, well, Jim, this has been great. I really appreciate you um, opening up and, and sharing with us how you arrived at the weekly briefing. Do you have a signature or a favorite toast to send us out? During this time, my toast is simple. Here's the health. Well, I certainly will. I'm lifting up my, you can't see it, my Moscow mule. It's right here. I'm lifting it up and I will certainly drink to that. Cheers. Nice. Cheers. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks again to Jim for joining me on this episode of SAS Half Full. I am inspired. What a great guy. So glad that we get to work with him on a daily basis as a Blast Media client. He was drinking the Sweater Weather Cocktail, which is oh so delicious. It's fruity. It is frothy. It has vodka in it. And if you feel like you want one of those delivered to your door, we are offering 15% off of that cocktail kit. Go to cocktailcourier.com and simply use SHF15 at checkout to get 15% off of your cocktail kit order. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Until next time, bottoms up.